You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic, and actually one of my favorite topics, is culture and cultural training, a critical aspect of successful business relationship. Really, it's that human element. Our guest today is Laura Mancini-Chan. Laura has lived and worked in China and multiple countries in Europe over the past 17 years, and she worked in human resources, relocation, and intercultural training with companies such as American Express and Cadbury Schweppes and J.P. Morgan Chase, KPMG, and many others. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to um, this session, and tell us a little bit about how you got so passionate about culture and even just the whole international component. Okay. Hi, Anka. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here for this podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, I went abroad uh, in, during university to China in the mid-90s, and I distinctly remember asking Chinese friends and my professor even and various people, what's going to be different? What do I have to think about? What do I have to change in, in my way of acting and behaving? And most of them kind of looked at me a bit plainly and said, well, mm, uh, I can't think of anything. You're, you're a nice person. You'll be fine. And, and then I got there and I found out, of course, there are a lot of differences. And that got me started thinking about what are these differences? How do people uh, behave? Why do people behave differently in different cultures? And it sort of set me on this lifelong path of, of learning and studying and working increasingly in this area. Mm, that's wonderful. You know, I have a similar background in, as well. And I think it's just one of the most fascinating journeys that you can be on. But tell us, what, what exactly is an intercultural trainer? What, what is it? And, and why is it important? Well, as intercultural trainers, we have a very specific definition of culture. Specifically, we're looking at the values, beliefs, and behaviors that are held by a group of people. And we look at this from a general perspective. We look at are there overall patterns in a given society, and how are these different when comparing different uh, groups with each other? So what we're looking at are, again, these general patterns. And when we work with business people uh, moving abroad or working globally from home we're looking we're trying to work with them on saying look here's where you're coming from here's perhaps your personal preferences if we do an assessment in advance and then we look at where are you going to or what groups are you working with and what are their general preferences and are there any big differences there or potential areas for understanding learning and development going forward that makes sense. So from a business perspective, what do you see are some of the most common areas of uh, misunderstanding maybe or incompatibility? I think one of the big ones is communication style. And certainly this is something that um, I noticed a lot when living and working in London for the past 11 years. Uh, that is a big area where Americans in, in particular tend to trip up because we as Americans tend to go to the UK and think, oh, it's English. It's going to be the same. I, I'm going to understand everything. And uh, the Brits de generally have a very different uh, communication style. The biggest difference there, I would say, is they tend to understate things, whereas Americans, we tend to overstate and inflate things a bit. So that's uh, one area where there's a gap. You know, it's um, interesting. Oh, sorry. Keep on going because this is a wonderful topic. So. 
Oh, no, that's I'd, I'd say that's the main one in that area. And um, there's other uh, culture affects all sorts of other things like time. How do people view time? Do they um, measure it out in really defined increments and go from one thing to the other? Or do they see it as more fluid and events and meetings and things that sort of run into one another? People are popping in and out throughout the day. So that's another big area as well. It's interesting. So I wanted to mention going back to the London thing is some of the studies I've read is, is it's more likely that American companies are going to not succeed in London because they assume they're so much more similar. Whereas if they are going into somewhere like China, they recognize from the very beginning that they need to be aware of the differences. Is that something that you found as well? Yes. And I, I personally, that's exactly what I did. Uh, so I know that this from my own experience, when I, as I mentioned, when I went to China and then I spent years studying China and going back and forth, I was always alert to the fact that it was going to be very different from what I was used to at home. And I was trying to figure that out all the time. And then later in my life, when I went to first Berlin and then London, I sort of felt a connection already. I think having studied European history growing up in American schools and read a lot of literature based in Europe, and I just had this sense that, oh, there's a similar heritage there, and I'm going to know what's going on. And so I wasn't prepared to look for the differences and to actively seek initially to modify what I was doing, but I learned very quickly that I needed to do that there as well. So I think that catches a lot of people unawares, this assumption of similarity Right. What about for people that have so like managers of teams of people? So either they have a number of people from different nationalities on their teams here or they maybe manage teams abroad. How do you you know, what do you see in those sort of situations? Well, I think when people are working increasingly uh, globally in that sense, there's often teams with members of different nationalities. And so I think, again, it's another area where you have to look at these different styles of communication, uh, different ways of dealing with time and meetings. And as a cultural trainer, we look at these overall patterns. So if we were dealing with a multicultural team, we'd say, what are the different nationalities? Okay, let's look at a profile in general. What are the values and beliefs of people from this culture and, and behaviors? And then you have to always take a step back when you're dealing with an individual. What we, try, what we really highlight is we're not stereotyping and saying every individual from this culture is going to display these behaviors to the same degree. We're saying, look, here's a roadmap. Here's a guide. Here's what you will tend to see. But it will help you hopefully understand what's going on. You still have to take each individual as their own person and realize that they, they will differ. And I think when we look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm an American, but of course there's lots of variety within my own culture. People will behave differently. Uh, so I think people understand that and see that, okay, we're giving you a guide, but then you have to look at how can you apply it sensitively. Hmm. As a manager, I'm, most managers want to improve all the time. What are some steps that you can take to really become one more aware? But sometimes I know in my behavior, my being aware of something doesn't necessarily always translate to the right actions. You know, how do you go from, well, one, being aware, then having really specific things you can do to make sure that you're, you know, really acting that out as well? 
Yes. Well, uh, th- yes, that, that is where really viewing this whole process as a personal development process comes in. Uh, there are lots of tools uh, out on the market these days where people can do individual assessments or companies buy in these tools often, and they may have whole teams go through these assessments. And, and that will basically look at personal preferences in these areas. How do I personally deal with things like hierarchy, time management, communication style, listening skills? And then where where are some of the gaps in the in terms of who are the different groups that I'm dealing with and what can I personally do? So let's say if it's a, it's a, if it's a focus more on uh, getting things done, which that's one of the things that American culture is known for, the can-do attitude, jump right in, get things moving. We have to sort of look at, are we dealing with a culture that might be a little bit more risk adverse, that might need to put a lot more upfront effort into planning and thinking about how to avoid possible mistakes and failures before leaping right in? If that's the case, as a manager, for example, we might see, oh, I'm, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing to get things done, and I'm feeling this resistance. Where's that coming from? Oh, well, if I look at my uh, assessment tools and see, oh, it might be this, this is what's going on. Maybe I have to devote more time up front to that planning or explaining process before moving along with the doing. So that's just one example. Um, and, and I think that's, a, that's really key, thinking about this as, in terms of giving yourself the space to identify what are your own preferences and stepping back a little and just giving yourself that little extra response time to think about how can I react going forward rather than just sort of plowing on. Are there characteristics in a person that you find are more likely to be um, successful when, you know, doing things in different countries or and certain personality types that are less likely? Are there things that you can look for as a manager before, for example, if you send someone abroad? Yes, and there are, um, there are assessment tools that look at that. Again, uh, I would caution uh, in terms of when, if you do have people that you're assessing, I would caution against looking at the results as something static that will always be the case because people are works in progress and we're always developing. So I'd look at it from uh, the standpoint of, okay, if we've assessed someone and identified some gaps, we then maybe bring in an actual physical trainer to work with them through some case studies and ideas and to help them um, move forward in their own developmental plan. So things that people do look for as qualities of successful global leaders would be very good listening skills, empathy in terms of really trying to understand the perspective of the people they are dealing with, tolerance for taking in those new ideas and and maybe being willing to change their own personal ingrained ways of doing things. And uh, I think one of the key buzzwords in this area is sort of seeking synergy. So a lot of people who work in multicultural teams, they often say the good things about it is they get multiple perspectives, multiple ideas on way to, ways to work and bring things forward. And it's how do you synergize that into an action plan that you can then effectively implement? Because the downside of all that difference and exciting um, things that are going on is that things take longer. So it's people who can listen, get all that perspective, and then still drive the initiative forward. Absolutely. Love to talk a little bit about, so if you're a business person and you're going to be going into a new country or even just having meetings and trying to negotiate a deal, even if you don't plan on relocating there, how might you 
um, get some of that information so that you're prepared and how far should you go in preparation? Is it okay to be different? Is there an assumption that you're going to be different or is it truly in your best interest to be you know, fully sensitive to you know, how do you shake hands and how do you um, communicate? How, what do you wear? Like, how much room is there for still being from your culture versus um, being really fully aware of the other culture? Oh, I think that's that's a really good question. Uh, I think we're really not striving to become someone else. We're, we're valuing our own personal styles and uh, convictions and beliefs, and we're not seeking to completely supplant them. What we're looking at is uh, what are things that could hinder our mission and how can we you know, work around them, I think, basically for, for business people. So I do think it is important to you know, go, go and look at online resources, country reports, um, look at the latest um, books on the specific culture you're going to and, and read up on that so you have that basic knowledge. So you're not surprised and shocked when you get there. You think, oh, uh-huh, I've seen, I, I have an idea that this is coming up. And another really good source of information is returned expats. If you have people in your company or even in your networking groups who've been there, who've done it before, talking to them is a really great opportunity to get some real, um, you know, direct information. Uh, looking into uh, business groups that's, that there's all kinds of uh, trade groups that they help with investment in specific countries. Going to some of those meetings, talking to people. I think all those things help you prepare. And uh, certainly, if you find that there is a developmental area on any of these assessments where you think, okay, I really need to work on, let's say, relationship building. Maybe I'm a person who focuses so much on the task. I get there and dive in. I've got my expertise and I don't focus as much on the relationship. And that's important in this culture. Maybe I, I realize, okay, I've got to put a little bit of time in my schedule for a bit of you know, discussion first with these people. Or maybe I do include some evening dinners out if that's important in the culture. And, and I think it's a matter of thinking, what's, what's going to work in this situation? Not that I have to completely change myself, but that I want to just improve my skills in these areas. That makes a lot of sense. Have you um, run into any situations where there were any um, really big uh, faux pas made, if you will, that you can share or any sort of situations that you thought could have been handled completely differently? Oh, um, I can think of I can think of one in in uh, my past where I was working. This is when I was working internally at a at a large company in human resources, and we had a, a group of, of expats that needed to um, comply with some visa issues, and we needed their documents. But it was right before a a big holiday in their home country, and they all wanted to fly back home, and so this became quite a contentious issue with the uh, local HR administrator that was trying to get their documents who couldn't understand why it was so important that they leave on that day. And uh, we, we finally worked it out by just, I, I had to explain, you know, this is a very important holiday. They need to leave. Can you, it, you know, we, we need to make some accommodation where we reschedule these appointments and get their documents on the way back. So that's one where I can think of was, it was a very, it was a fairly simple idea in terms of why this was important, but it was hard to convince both parties to see the other side. It is funny, isn't it? How those things happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about M&A. So there's, there's this, um, 
you know, again, a lot of data showing that mergers and acquisitions oftentimes fall apart, not because they're not a good financial um, decision or not because they're not a good, you know, they're not in sync business-wise, but they fall apart because of cultural aspects that they either didn't, they weren't aware of in the beginning or they developed as they were trying to integrate or, you know, how might executives that are looking to either partner or merge or acquire someone just have a, you know, the, a more likelihood of being successful, if you will? Well, I think in addition to sort of the national cultures involved, there's also the corporate culture. So there, those are two things that are going on in a situation like an M&A. Again, I think there are definitely categories that could be looked into, like hierarchy. If you're take if you're talking about a really flat sort of organizational culture, uh, and and you're going to merge with a company that is quite hierarchical, and there's a lot of deference going on between uh, superiors and subordinates. That could be an area of difficulty. Um, again, communication style comes up. How formalized are are these things in the company? Uh, I think also with M and A's, it's looking at uh, the the power structure of the merger as well. Is this really a takeover, sort of cloaked in a merger, or is this actually supposed to be a merger of equals, where it would be um, good for the two companies to look at? where are real sources of value and how do we get these teams to blend together? Mm, absolutely true. I think all three of those areas are really, really critical. Are there, are there some cultures and aspects of different cultures that are just much, much more difficult for them to work together or become familiar with? Are you finding, are like certain cultures much more likely then to be able to be compatible and then others less likely just because they're so different? Have you seen that? And which cultures would you identify as being more challenging to understand and work together? Um, I think this question really depends on where people are going, like who, who, what is the home culture, what is the host culture, or the, the two, two groups that are coming together. I think it's, it's, it's quite hard to generalize on this one. Um, I think I have heard that uh, it's, it, my areas of specialty were basically China, Germany, the UK, and the US. And again, I think the main thing there is highlighting when you're going somewhere that you already know is different, uh, you expect it to be different and you look at, look at that. When you're going somewhere where you think it's going to be similar, you often have more problems because you're not anticipating any difference. Um, and that being said, um, I, I have... I have friends who have done a lot of work with Japan and they've often described that to me as one of the harder cultures to get to know. But again, that's um, it's not a, it's my personal area of expertise. So I'm just mentioning what I, what I have heard within the trainer community. Mm -hmm. What about for someone that's relocating? How much impact will culture have on not just the person that's working, but the family? And are there things that you can prepare for with your family or the, you know, what they call the trailing spouse, where they are really necess not necessarily choosing to go where they're ending up going? Are there some cultural things that you can do to help them adjust and integrate and just be much more um, a part of that culture? 
Yes, definitely. And this is a big area because assignments of where the family is not happily settled in will often not be productive assignments or perhaps result in an early return. So I think this is an area that corporations in the last uh, decade, 15, 20 years have really improved on. I think it's on the radar. Uh, there are cultural programs to uh, assist the spouse specifically. Often, if a, uh, a person is being sent abroad, the cultural training will include the partner and uh, in with the training with the employee. If there are children involved, uh, there are trainings for children. Usually, they start around seven years old, uh, going up through the teenage years. So those would be a separate program from the parents, but often held you know, on the same day with a different trainer that specializes in, in youth. And uh, concerns that are covered in spouse trainings would be things like, what do you do if you can't work? Are there other options for you? What, uh, or if, you, if it is possible for you to work in the host culture, how do you go about doing that? Do you need to adapt your resume? Where can you network? Those sorts of issues. How, how about dealing with healthcare, dealing with the school system? All those are, are things that, that come up. Uh, in children's trainings, often there's a lot of um, sort of fear and stress around what's school going to be like. Can I continue doing my favorite activities in that culture? So trainers will cover those issues or set up Skype chats with children at the, the new school or, or link these kids in some way to their new environment, as well as giving them some background in the culture. So it's actually really important for people that are being offered an assignment to make sure that some of these things are actually included in their um, relocation package, would you agree? Because they're things that they probably, one, wouldn't necessarily be doing without the company's assistance because, you know, there's some costs associated with that. And, um, and even I know when we relocated, we went into Germany and I had been there before, but then when we came back here, the school system wasn't as... Um, far ahead and I had to get tutoring and things that, you know, just to catch me up and different things that I hadn't had before. And those were just additional costs that the family needed to cover. So would you, I mean, do you have some advice on kind of what to make sure is in your package, right? To, to make sure that you do integrate really well and that you can have the life that you are looking for. Definitely, definitely. I, I do think um, it's incredibly important to have these in the package. An assignment is very expensive for a company. They're looking often at tax equalization for the expat, uh, home leave, perhaps paying for tuition uh, at the schools, uh, additional health insurance to cover uh, anything that might happen abroad or bringing people out back out of the country. So if if this is not included, I would very much suggest discussing it with uh, your line manager or HR or checking whether this is something the company does offer. Because, um, and, 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 and it can basically the reason why they should offer it is because everything else in the package is so expensive. This is a relatively small upfront cost to help increase the productivity and the success chance of the assignment. So yes, definitely um, look for support for the family and spouse. It may be language training as well as intercultural. And, and for the uh, employee, I think also follow-up coaching is a really great thing to have as well. So there are 
are lots of, um, like I mentioned, online tools and assessments that are now often used in advance of a face-to-face -face program. And then often a trainer comes in and does a face-to-face -face program, or if that's not possible due to whatever time or distance constraints, that can sometimes be done via Skype. Um, and then often people are building in some additional coaching sessions after the family has relocated. Again, that's, that helps with these, with, um, as we talked about earlier, how can you change and adapt if you need to, if you've seen those gaps, how do you develop those areas? Well, the, all this pre-information and the actual face-to-face -face training brings those up to light and brings those to the surface and gives you an opportunity to practice. And then once you're there, if you need some additional mentoring and coaching, it's great to bring that in when you have actual live situations to discuss and get advice on. Uh, if the company would not be providing that coaching, then I'd suggest really looking for a local mentor, another expat perhaps who's been successful in the community, who has a positive outlook about the community and is willing and has some time uh, occasionally to have chats is a great resource to have as well. Mm, I think that's excellent advice because I think there are a lot of companies that may not be able to provide those resources. I'm thinking about startups and, and you know, where they're just sending someone over and they're doing it very lean and mean, if you will. Yes. Okay. And in that case, for the spouse, uh, definitely, and a good trainer should bring this up, but if, if uh, a spouse is having to do this on their own, there are resources out there. Um, there are women's groups. There are also increasingly men's groups because there are trailing male spouses as well. Uh, so definitely look for those groups. Sometimes they're nationality-based, like say American Women's Club Abroad. Other times they're just general expat groups, which can also be a lot of fun because you meet people from all over the world that have been assigned to the country that you're in. And those women often become uh, incredible friends, sources of knowledge about everything from, you know, the best place to get a haircut or find your shoe size for your children or whatever in the town to um, language advice and, and cultural advice too. Mm -hmm. Are there any, do you have some favorite resources that you'd like to share? Are there any things that we could um, take a look at that are online and that people can, you know, get more information about? Yes. So uh, there's a website called expatfocus.com and that has a lot of um, information on brief country overviews, uh, anything from health insurance to property to finance, advice on tax, all that sort of thing. Um, there's another one called expatwoman.com, again, geared mainly towards uh, women. And there's country reports as well and things on, um, on these sort of expat women's groups. And uh, there is a series of books uh, by a woman named Robin Pascoe that also focused on women's expat issues. And so those are worth looking up as well. Excellent. So what we'll do is, is we'll work with uh, Laura to make sure that we get this information so we can post it on Globig when you um, listen to the podcast as well. And keep in mind that Globig has a lot of business resources for every country that we work with, but we don't have the personal resources. So it'll be really nice to have some additional information on those. So Laura, is there anything that you'd like to share that I just haven't asked? Are there some things that are really important for people to know before they, um, you know, they become involved in, you know, international business or they want to work abroad or they have team members that they want to do, you know, they want to manage better? Is there anything else that I should, that we should talk about on this? 
Well, in terms of actual assignments and going to live and work abroad for a certain amount of time, I would like to suggest that people start thinking about the repatriation aspect, even from when, from the time when they're planning to go, because that is something that is often overlooked and, and companies also need to take that into consideration. If they're sending someone out for a certain amount of time, what is their planning for when that person comes back? How do they reintegrate them into the organization? How do they make use of all the knowledge and skills that that person has gained? Because there is quite a high rate of people who come back home, are not satisfied with the new position and either leave or go back abroad again. So companies are losing a valuable resource in that sense. So reintegrating those people is important. And uh, one other thing to mention is that uh, there is a, uh, a cycle called culture shock, which can affect people who live and work abroad. And it's very normal. It's completely normal. And it uh, often happens you know, within the first few months of the assignment. The beginning is great and super exciting. And then there's a bit of a tailspin where people think, oh my gosh, I miss home. I miss this and that. I, I can't figure out how to get everything set up yet. And I, my life is kind of in flux and, and they go through a stressful period. So I think realizing that that's totally normal. Everyone goes through it to some degree and thinking ahead about that and what are some strategies that you can use to help you get out of that. Um, any stress management strategies that have worked for you before uh, will, will help. Uh, setting up your routine also really helps you to feel sort of control and mastery in your new environment and will get you going on the right foot. Mm, that's great advice. I hadn't really thought about the repatriation and, and like you said, the culture shock. So really, you would most likely have culture shock going both ways, right? And not just going over, which you may be more prepared for, but coming back as well. Exactly. That's another thing that is kind of a blind spot where people often don't anticipate that. They think, I'm, I'm going home. I, you know, I know what I'm doing in that environment. But home changes too while we've been away, especially for people who've been abroad for a long time, which in my case, I came back after 17 years, uh, I'll bite to a different location than where I grew up. But yes, it's, it's a huge change. And uh, you almost go through a form of reverse culture shock. Uh, and this particularly affects people who've been successful abroad. They have very likely adapted and changed and modified their behavior in ways that they might not be fully aware of until they come home and feel really different and a bit out of sorts in their home environment. Mm, that is so true. And again, I, it was something that I had completely overlooked. So as a reminder to everyone, we're going to share Laura's resources and then of course we'll also share Globig resources and certainly there's a lot on business culture. Laura, I want to thank you so very much for being here today. This was really, really great and um, to everyone that's listening, we look forward to having you yet again for another interesting episode to the Globig podcast.